I'm delighted you can join us on Search for Truth. Thanks for being with us. This program is your Bible study time with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. And the series we continue today is Take Your Mark's Gospel. Brian brings us talk number two, which is called Jesus Can Demand Allegiance. So, Brian, tell us about it, please. Okay, John. Well, Mark has told us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John the Baptist had laid the groundwork, telling all who'd listen that Jesus would soon come. None less than God himself has told us that Jesus is his Son. The special someone whom people had been waiting for had finally arrived. But like those people back then, we are also naturally sceptical, and often with good reason in a world of broken promises and false dawns. Why should we believe what Mark is telling us about Jesus? If he truly is God's son, the long-awaited king who was to come and royally deliver us from the present sad state of affairs in this world, with its great litany of human pain and suffering, if he was that, then we'd expect the life that he should live on earth would be utterly special, a life without any peer. And Mark sets out to demonstrate that it truly was like that. People often ask the question, I wonder what heaven will be like? Another similar question is, what will God's future kingdom be like? In Jesus' earthly life, it's as if we get a tester pot of kingdom colours. You know what I mean by a tester pot, don't you? One day you decide to give your paintwork at home a refresh. You want to redecorate, but there's a snag. You haven't held on to the old paint tin. When you visit the paint shop again, there are two shades of paint that seem very close to what you already have. But which is it? The shop assistant solves the problem by giving you a small tester pot of each colour. You can now go home, and on a small area of the wall, you can apply a little bit of paint from each tester pot. You observe one to be the correct shade, and so you now go back confidently to buy a large tin of that shade of paint that you now know to be the correct one. In a similar way, perhaps, we can think about the three years of Jesus' public life of service in this world as a tester pot, showing us the true colours of what life will be like in God's kingdom to come, as in the prayer he taught his followers, your kingdom come, your will be done. But perhaps your mind is racing ahead at this point, because you already know something about how the story of Jesus' life on earth ends. His death is surely the most famous in history after all. But the point is, if Mark's opening confession is true, why on earth did Jesus have to die on a cross? How can that be consistent with a foretaste of the kingdom to come? Mark's gospel is going to help us discover that Jesus had to die so that we might be able to have a place in that coming kingdom. Of course, we'd rather focus on the miracles of Jesus' life rather than on his gruesome death. But let's join the dots of the picture as Mark intends. At this point, I'm reminded of when my mother-in-law mentioned that she'd mice in her house. She spoke of cleaning up their droppings. Well, as we know, that solves the immediate problem, but soon there's going to be more. Her daughter then reminded her that there was a mouse trap in the cupboard. Soon that was set up, and it did its job of trapping the mouse. That was the end of the story. The problem had now been dealt with at the source. 
at the level of the root cause, not simply by dealing with the symptoms. Jesus' life was full of dealing with the symptoms of humanity's original sin. Practically everywhere he went, he dispensed healing and blessing, bringing great joy into the lives of so many people. But later, these same people would get ill again and eventually die. The problem of the human condition goes a whole lot deeper. To deal with the root problem of the human condition, Jesus needed to go to the cross and die. But more about that later. What we find Jesus doing almost as soon as he began calling on people to turn back to God was to enlist the help of others to be his followers, to be his disciples. In particular, the group that came to be known as the Twelve. They, and so many others, would be the ones to carry on spreading God's good news, the story of God's remedy for human sin after Jesus had returned to heaven. It's this enlisting of his first followers that first begins to show us the kind of authority we'd expect a king to have. We should read about this for ourselves directly now from Mark chapter 1, reading from verse 14. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Whoa, let's stop and take that on board. Imagine you see someone who's busy at work. He's got a good job. He has a house and a family to look after. Suppose you were to go up to him and tell him to leave his work and follow you without offering to pay him any money. What will he tell you to do? I think the expression these days is, on your bike, mate. But when Jesus says, follow me, what happens? They drop everything and start to follow. That shows us something awesome about Jesus' power. That's the point of mentioning this here straight after the Gospel's opening claims about Jesus. In this section of Mark's Gospel, we have an example of Jesus' royal authority in the power that he has over some fishermen. These men become special followers of Jesus. We call them his disciples. Jesus, God's son, also has the power to tell us what to do. By the way, as the name suggests, the Sea of Galilee is a small lake in the area of Galilee. Most people have heard of Simon, the first mentioned of Jesus' disciples, if not by that name, then by his other name, Peter. It was Jesus who gave Simon the name Peter, Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John were four of the twelve disciples of Jesus. I think we should pause and emphasise Mark's point here, why he arranges his material this way. Remember, he's begun with the stunning claim that Jesus is God's son, the promised king. That's a truth claim. How can it be verified? We need to evaluate it by checking if there's evidence consistent with it. 
In other words, the big issue Mark focuses our attention on is this. Does Jesus display the kind of authority that's expected from a king? We're going to discover that Mark will now present one piece of evidence after another to convince us that Jesus does have the authority of heaven's king while here on earth. The first example of the use of his authority is seen in the calling of these fishermen to be his followers. These were grown men with families and a business. They'd been brought up to a life of fishing. They probably knew nothing else. Their horizons were very limited. They and everybody else expected them to follow their fathers in the family fishing business. That's what you did in those times. If your father was a fisherman or a baker or a carpenter, then you learned from him the trade of being a fisherman or baker or carpenter. And that was that. So different from today, at least in Western lands. It's easy for us to miss this point. But even the calling of those fishermen was in a sense miraculous. Certainly a wonder. The point wasn't lost on the great French general Napoleon. At a point late on in his life, while in exile, with time to reflect on ultimate issues, he had this to say while talking with his colleagues. Christ alone succeeded in so raising the mind of man toward the unseen that it became insensible to the barrier of time and space. Across a chasm of 1800 years, Jesus Christ made a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. Jesus asks for the human heart. He demands it unconditionally, and forthwith his demand is granted. Wonderful! In defiance of time and space, the spirit of man with all its powers and faculties becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. All who sincerely believe experience that supernatural love towards him. Napoleon commented further, This phenomenon is unaccountable and said it was this that showed convincingly to him the divinity of Jesus Christ. Notice, it was this authority in the calling and commanding of followers that Napoleon discerned the royal dignity of Christ, the ruler of a kingdom infinitely greater than any empire he'd built up. So, getting back to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, what did Simon and Andrew and James and John do when Jesus told them to follow him? Jesus had a special job for these men. Jesus doesn't want everyone to stop doing their usual job. He doesn't call everyone to be preachers. Before they caught fish, now they must catch people. Jesus will teach them to tell people the good news about him. Then some will come into his net and be included in his kingdom. These men left all. The familiarity and security of home and occupation they simply sensed that he was worth it, a decision based on kingdom values. These men left their small town ambitions for kingdom building. They were hard at work when Jesus called them, but they were called to still harder work. When Christ calls, don't say I can't, for Christ says, I will make you. It's not about us, it's all about him. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.
The book which accompanies this series is called Take Your Mark's Gospel and it contains all the transcripts of the talks in this series. It's available on request. If you like a copy, just write in by post or email. I'll be giving you the contact details shortly if you've pen and paper to hand, but I must tell you that the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet and you can do it in audio or text format. To obtain the book, simply ask for Great Spiritual Movements and you can send for the book by email or by post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So, I hope, like me, you were challenged by Brian's study in Mark's Gospel today to be more faithful, loyal and committed in living for our Lord Jesus. Next time, Brian brings us a seasonal message, which is uh, for only one week, and we'll be back in Mark's Gospel for the last week in December. So until next time, it's very best wishes and a happy Christmas from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Should no one join me, still I must follow, should no one join me, Still I must follow, should no one join me, still I must follow, no turning back, no turning back.